Bibles tonight, I'd like for you to turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Actually, we're going to go to chapter 28, beginning at verse 20. And tonight, I'm going to finish up talking uh, along the lines of uh, generational transference. Uh, next week, we're going, to, we're going to take a journey uh, over the next few weeks and maybe even, uh, you know, for the next two or three months. Uh, we're going to go into the book of Joshua and we're going to study it in depth. It's one of my favorite Old Testament books. It is, it, it is a time of transition, but it's a time of great, great victory. I mean, time after time after time, they found themselves up against obstacles and, 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 and oppressors. And yet they were able to overcome in every situation and move from one place to another that God had in store for them. And so we'll begin that next week, and uh, we'll, we'll go through it chapter by chapter. Probably we may lump some things together, but it's going to be a good study. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited about teaching it. And then I want you to come this Sunday. I, I have a special message that I, I, you know, I had not intended to preach it. I, my mind was going another direction. And Monday morning when I was in this sanctuary in prayer, walking around and, and praying, the Lord just spoke to me and said, Sunday, I want you to tell my people that the answer is on the way. And I'm going to talk to you about that Sunday morning. So I want you to be here. Amen. First Chronicles chapter 28. First Chronicles chapter 28. Now last week we talked about how that uh, David had, First uh, Chronicles chapter 28, verse 20. Uh, David had prepared uh, the nation of Israel for this time uh, of generational transference where, where his role was going to be changing and Solomon's role was going to change as well. One was going to decrease while the other was increasing. They weren't surprised by this. By this point, Solomon had already been chosen by God to succeed David. They already knew that. But they had to get a plan in place. And also at stake was the fulfillment of the dream and the vision to build the temple that David had in his heart to provide for God. It was not a temple that was going to be made for man to worship in necessarily, but it was going to be a place for the presence of God to rest. It's where they were going to put the Ark of the Covenant and allow it to have a permanent resting place among God's people. And David had this in his heart to do, but he realized that he was running out of time and was not going to be able to get it done. We talked about last week how that God told David, I'm not going to let you build the temple because you were a warrior who shed blood. We talked about how that that was not a negative thing. It just meant that David's role in the kingdom was very different than Solomon's role would be. That, that David did what God called him to do, and that was to take land and to overcome and subdue enemies. And, and, and man, there's, ne there's never been a warrior like David uh, who could run into the battle and face somebody like Goliath. I read this week somebody said, David didn't have time to worry about Goliath. He was too focused on the greatness of God. I like that. That was wonderful. 
But Goliath said, hey, who are you, you little punk, you, you little kid coming out here? And, and gonna do, he said, I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds. And David said, yeah, that, that's not the way it's going to happen. You came to me with your sword and your shield, but I've come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And this day, I'm going to put you down. I mean, he was a warrior, but he wasn't a temple builder. It make him a bad person. It just meant he was better at taking land than he was laying bricks. Amen. Boy, I'd hate to think I had to lay bricks because they'd be all over the place, in and out and up and down. and all. I'm, I'm, That's just not my thing. God wasn't mad at David. He used his gifting and his ability to do what he had called him to do. But God, who sees the end from the beginning, knew that David was going to come to a place in his life where transference had to take place. And so Solomon was in place. Now, here's how David handled this. Beginning in verse 20, it says, Then David said to Solomon, his son, Be strong and courageous and do it. Well, we could just stop right there. And we could go home right now. And we would have heard a message from the Lord. He said, Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the Lord God even my God is with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. In other words, God is not going to quit. He's not going to leave this thing partially done and unfinished. He's going to anoint Solomon to do it if he will. And behold, the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God. And with you, say with you, in all the work will be every willing man who has skill for any kind of service. Also the officers and all the people will be wholly at your command. Now, Here's, here's what David is doing. He's beginning this transference of power, and here's what he wants to do. He wants to speak to Solomon, and he wants to encourage him and let him know that the God who saw me through life, the God who gave the bear and the lion and the giant and kingdom after kingdom after kingdom gave it and delivered it into my hands, that same God, my God, is going to be with you. And if you will just be brave and courageous and step into the role that God has called you to fulfill, the God who helped me to fulfill my calling is going to be the same God who is going to help you to fulfill your calling. And so he encourages Solomon. I thought about that today, how easy it would have been if David had a, a self-esteem complex to think, well, I really don't want Solomon to be greater than me. I really don't want Solomon's legacy to be a greater legacy than mine. But you see, what we have to understand is, is that legacy extends across generations, my dad was a first-generation Church of God minister. He was not raised in the church. He didn't get saved until he came out of the army. He served in, the, in, in, in uh, World War II in the army and the Air Force. 
Very rare. That didn't happen very often in those days. But when he came out of the military service, he, he, he went to a Church of God congregation where they were having an old-fashioned Holy Ghost revival, and he saw my mom sitting inside through the window, and he didn't get, go in for the Holy Ghost. He went in to meet that girl. But when he got in to try to meet that girl, he found the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost introduced him to Jesus and he gave his life to, to the Lord and spent the rest of his life serving Jesus. And when I was raised in that pastor's home, uh, he taught me the things of the kingdom and taught me how to be a man of God. Not, he didn't call me to ministry. He didn't, he didn't put a call upon my life, but he taught me to love Jesus. And Jesus put in my spirit what my calling was. And then came little Jonathan along. Yeah, he used to be small. He's not so small anymore. But God put a call upon his life. And this morning he came in, he stuck his head in my office, and he said, we have two more kids enrolled. Amen. And I said, good, praise God. I said, hey, I said, you've always liked getting new customers. And I remembered when he was that big and we were pastoring our very first church and our very first Sunday and the very first car pulled up into the parking lot and my son in his little navy blue suit with a white shirt and a tie standing beside me tugged on my jacket and he said, look daddy, it's our very first customer. Amen. And God put on his heart to be called. So when I'm dead and gone, one of these days when I'm dead and gone, I'm still, still going to be getting credit and, and God's still going to be putting back treasure in heaven on my account for what, for what Jonathan is doing in the kingdom, just like, just like I am for what dad did. And, and so what I'm saying is here is that David wasn't intimidated by Solomon. He wasn't frustrated with the fact that Solomon was going to get to do something that he wasn't going to get to do. But he wanted to encourage him and edify him and let him know that God is getting ready to do something through you that he, he wouldn't do through me, but he's going to do it through you if you'll just step up to the plate and swing the bat, son. And not just God, but all these people back here, they're going to be with you too. The priests are going to do the work of the, of, of the church and, and the laborers are going to be with you. And you, you carry the vision. You give, you give the direction and these people are going to come along beside you and fulfill the dream and the vision that God has given. So he starts by edifying. So when we start thinking about this generational transference, we can't let it freak us out. We can't come to the place where we say, well, I, you know, I don't know that I want these people to, to take the church that I grew up in. You know, I don't want it to be different. I don't want it to look different. I don't want it to feel different. I, I don't want it to smell different, you know. Hey, listen, this is not your church. It's not my church. It's God's church. And he's got people in place to step in at the right time in the right time in the right season to carry this message forward. Then we move into chapter 29. Now he spent a significant amount of time encouraging Solomon and set, telling him, do it. And then chapter 29, verse 1, he says, And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, 
and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. Now, let me just stop long enough to say Solomon wasn't perfect. David clearly said he's young. He's inexperienced. He's going to have to have some help. He's not talking to Solomon anymore. You know who he's talking to? He's talking to the leaders of Israel. He's talking to the support staff who's going to have to get alongside of Solomon and help Solomon to be successful and fulfilling the dream that God has given him to fulfill. Solomon couldn't do it on his own. As wise as Solomon ultimately would be, at this point, he was very young and inexperienced. And so David is saying, you're going to have to come along beside him and help him and give him some wisdom and knowledge. And if you will do that, God will bless you. He says in verse 2, so I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able. The gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold of the gold and ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. God, a gold for the things of gold, silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly consecrating himself today to the Lord. Now, strap your seatbelt on because here's what's happening. David is receiving an offering. Now, that always freaks people out. They say, okay, here we go. Now, pastor's going to, he's going to try and get some money out of me. No, that's not what this is about. But what we do have to realize is, is that God's kingdom moves forward based on our stewardship. And we're going to find out here in a minute that everything that we have is his anyway. He's only loaned it to us so that we can be good stewards. But let me show you what's happening. There are three things that happen here. First of all, David says, as your king, I did everything I could in my power to be a good steward of the riches that came into this kingdom. I didn't spend all your money, but I set aside resources knowing that the day would come that we would have to build this temple for, to, for it to be a place for God. And he said, we set aside gold so that those things that God said should be gold would be able to be gold. We set aside silver out of the budget so that those things that God said needed to be silver would be silver. And he went down the list. If God said this is to be gold, we put gold aside. If God said this is to be silver, we established a cash of silver so that we would have it. If God said it's to be wood, we have the wood stacked in the back. It's there. We've, I have been very faithful in taking from the taxes of the people and the, 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 the menstruation of, of the temple. I've taken those things and I have provided what I could. So he's talking about good stewardship. He, he's not talking about uh, hoarding or anything of that nature 
But hoarding is when you just put stuff away and keep it, but there's no reason for it. There's no purpose for it. It's just we got to hold on to it for the sake of holding on to it. He was, he was putting things aside because God had already given him the vision and the plan, and he knew we've got to have gold to do this. We've got to have silver to do that. We have to have wood to do this. We have to have jewels to go into this. We have to have this. And so we've been very faithful in administrating the money of this body so that it would be available in order to bring about the vision that God has given us. Now, let me just say to you, in the last five and a half years, I've done everything that I know to do to be as frugal as I can possibly be on behalf of this church. We've paid cash for everything that we've done in the last five and a half years because we set money back and we put it aside and when it came time that we had to do something, we had the money there. But if we didn't have the money there, God sent somebody in at the right time who could give and present gifts on behalf of this church. It's what we should do. We are to be faithful stewards of what God has given us to oversee. But then he goes on and he says the second thing. He said, he said basically, all that I did in setting this aside was good, but it wasn't enough. We needed more. He says, before I ever came to you and asked you for anything, I decided that out of my own fortune, now that's what he said. He said, out of my own riches, out of the things that God has blessed me personally with, I like what he said. He said, I give it now to the work of the kingdom. Now, I, I want to get to this, and I'll get to it in just a moment but listen, you can never outgive God. I know people that they're so afraid that if I'm a generous giver in my older years that I'll run out of money. You're going to see in just a few moments that that's not possible. You can't outgive God. Because if you can't outgive God, then Scripture is not true. Because Scripture says that when you give, Men will give back into your bosom, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Men are going to come up and give into your bosom because as you give out, it just keeps coming in and keeps coming in because that's the way God works. You can't outgive him. You'll never get one up on God. So he says, first of all, I've been faithful with the treasury of the house. I have set aside for this day. But then I have made a decision that out of my own wealth, I'm going to show you the way. I'm going to lead the way. I had somebody tell me, and I, this, I don't want this to be about me, but sometimes we have to use uh, personal examples in order to make a point. But I remember when we first came here, and I had that little red Mustang that I loved so much. It's been gone so long now that I've almost forgotten what it was like to drive one. Now, I remember somebody looked me in the face one day and they said, I would not let anybody make me sell my car. And I looked at them and I said, nobody made me sell my car. But God brought me here to do a work among this congregation. And if that car was a stumbling stone and would close the door to be, me being able to minister to someone, 
I would rather be able to minister to someone in their time of need than to be able to drive the red Mustang. I said, if God wants me to have another red Mustang when the time is right and the right people are around here, he's going to let me have another red Mustang. And what I'm trying to say is, is that we all come to these places in our lives where God speaks to us to do something sacrificially for the kingdom of God. And we have to be willing to do that. And here David is at the end of his life knowing that I don't have the ability to draw social security. You know, I don't have the ability to get, you know, more money coming in. I'm on a fixed income. But God has laid it upon me to take out of my own personal riches all of this in order that the temple for the house of God can be built. And then the third thing that happens is, is he invited them to join him in doing that. That's, that's what it says. He said, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? I think the maddest I ever got in church has been several years ago. When I was in a, 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 a I think it was a camp meeting. I, I don't know what it was. It was a big, big gathering of people. And preacher decided he was going to raise some money. And he made a statement similar to this. He said, I will not preach until I have raised X amount of dollars. He said, here's how much money we need. And when we get to that point, then we'll go a different direction. And he just, he stood there and waited and waited and waited. And finally, a few people came and gave. Then a few more people came and gave. He counted the money. They counted the money. No, we're not there. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going anywhere until we raise the money. And to make a very long story short, the longer I sat there, the madder I got. Because I felt like I was being manipulated. I felt like everyone else was being manipulated. I felt like it was one of the poorest ways to generate finances as I've ever seen in my life. And it angered me not because... Not because it was offending me personally as much as I felt like it was an offense to the way that God would have things done. There's a, there's a proper way to invite people to invest in ministry. And there's an improper way as well. And I want you to notice that he said, how many of you would be willing to do this willingly? consecrating himself today to the Lord. And now let's move on. Verse 6. Then the leaders of the father's houses made their free will offerings. Do you see that word free will? Made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, commanders of the thousands and the hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks, of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord that was in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Now let me see if you can get this in your mind. David says, I've been faithful. I stewarded the money of the house properly. We set aside. 
Now I'm giving from my own wealth and, and riches the things. Uh, I'm giving it to God. I'm inviting you to do the same thing. And a spirit of giving broke out among the leaders of the thousands, of the hundreds. All of them gave willingly. And the scripture says that if, if they had precious stones, they started taking the stones off and taking them off and putting them in the offering so that they could be used for the building of the temple of God. Isn't that amazing? I don't know if you remember this or not, but it's been it, I, probably a couple of years ago now. And I just made some comment just off the cuff about Luke and Michelle getting ready to adopt Zola. And we were talking about giving that day, and I, I don't know, I had, a, I had a $20 bill, I think, in my pocket. And I just and, and we were talking about just giving spontaneously and without any pressure. And I just I just took that and I went over and just put it in their hands. I didn't think anything more about it. And by the time I turned around and walked back up, people were getting up out of their seats in the congregation and coming up and whatever cash they had in their hands, they just and Luke and Michelle later they told me they said, We have never in our lives seen such a spirit of generosity among God's people. It wasn't motivated it, it, by manipulation. It wasn't, I don't even remember inviting anyone else to give. I just did what I felt like I should do. And people, it's the only time ever in my ministry that I can remember that that happened. And it made such an impact on me. That people will give and invest in the work of the kingdom of God under the anointing of the Spirit of God without me having to get up and manipulate you to do it. The Holy Ghost is well able to move upon you and speak into your heart and your spirit in such a way that the need will be blessed. And it, and, and, and it just doesn't have to happen that way. It doesn't have to be manipulated. Then the king also rejoiced greatly. Now let's move on, verse 10. You see what time it is first. Oh, I've got 15 minutes. I can do a lot in 15 minutes. It says, therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and we praise your glorious name. David didn't go just start going around to the people and saying, thank you, thank you for your gift, thank you for your gift, thank you for your gift, thank you very much, thank you very much. God bless you. You could have done a little more than what you did, but bless you anyway. Bless you. He didn't do that. He was so amazed by the spontaneous move by God's people to invest in the next generation so they would have the resources that they need to be able to do ministry 
and to make a place for the Spirit of God to rest among them, they just, they just broke out in giving. And David just broke out in praise and just started honoring God and talking about how good God is. Verse 14, he says, but who am I and, and what is my people? That we should be able thus to offer willingly. For all things come from you. And of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners. As all the fathers were, our days on the earth are like a shadow. And there's no abiding. In other words, he's saying, we know we can't stay here. We, we know somehow that we're not going to live forever. That it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. There's no abiding. We understand that. We're just, we're just journeying through. He said, oh Lord our God, all this, ab all this abundance that we have provided for the building, you a house for your holy name, comes from your hand and is all your own. He said, I know my God that you test our hearts and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. Oh, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Let me stop there. He's saying, God, who are we that you would invest this kind of abundance in us knowing full well that we weren't going to run with it and go the other direction? You gave us stewardship over everything that we have. You put all of this abundance in our hands knowing full well that you were going to require it back of us. But you knew that we would not withhold. You knew that we would be faithful. He, 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 he sees the beginning from the end, right? He knows. And he knows whether or not you're going to be faithful. He knows whether or not you're going to be stingy. He knows whether or not you're going to hoard it or whether or not you're going to invest it. And he will bless you and give according to what he already knows that you're going to do. And the script in the New Testament it says that those who have, he'll take it away from them if he knows that they're not going to be faithful investing it into the kingdom of God. He'll take it away from them and give it to somebody he knows will. And so David acknowledges, God, all this abundance that we have, it's not because we're so smart. It's not because we had this great plan. It's not because we came up with it. God, we have it today. How did they get it? They got it because David was a warrior. And when he went in and took over lands, he took the spoil from them that God provided for Israel from the, from the winning battle. And they, they, they didn't, they, it wasn't because they were smart businessmen. It was because God was advancing their footprint 
on, on the continent for his glory. And in every victory, in every instance of victory, they received spoil from the hand of God. And they recognized that and they said, look, we didn't generate this. This is not something we did. God, this is something that you put in our hands and you require it back from us and you knew good and well that we weren't going to hold on to it and say, God, why would you bless me and then take it away? No, they with willing hearts said, God, it wasn't ours in the first place. It was yours to begin with and it's still yours. It's just passing through our hands as it comes back into the kingdom of God. Now, verse 19, grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart. Do you see that whole heart? That he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, your statutes, performing all. And that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord. They all all had a worship service. The God of their fathers, they bowed their heads. They paid homage to the Lord and to the king. They offered sacrifices to the Lord. And on the next day offered burnt offerings to the Lord. A thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand lambs with their drink offerings. And sacrifices in abundance for all of Israel. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. You said, you mean they took another offering? No. No, these sacrifices that are being talked about now were were to present to God for the forgiveness of their sins. Man, they just had one of the greatest worship services in history. They emptied their pockets. They gave everything they had to give. They took off their earrings and their necklaces and their rings and their rubies and their gems. And and the scripture says they fell down on their faces before God and gave homage to the Lord. And then the next day they realized, but we're still in a position where we need to offer God sacrifices for the forgiveness of our sins. They wanted to be spiritually pure. They wanted to know that in the midst of this transference that is about to take place, we're going in knowing that we are pure before our God. You remember when I came to you five and a half years ago? What's the first thing I told you we had to establish? Purity. Why is purity so important? Because without it, None of the other spiritual disciplines will even matter. If you're not pure, you can pray all day long. And God's not obligated to hear your prayer. You got to be pure first. You got to be holy first. Now in their day, the way they accomplished that was by offering sacrifices for their sin before God. And after they did that, notice what they did. They ate and they drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. This great generational transference is getting ready to take place. And they're having a party. They're saying, man, we're pure before God. We've offered up sacrifices for our sin. We've given everything we have. We're poor. We're penniless. We don't have anything. We gave it all to God. It's one of the greatest days I've ever lived. Let's laugh. Let's eat. Let's rejoice. 
Because God is getting ready to do a thing that he's never done before. And it's going to astound not only us, but it's going to astound the nations. It's going to be astounding throughout history. Thousands of years down the road, they're going to look back on this situation and people are going to give praise to God for what has happened in this time. And they made Solomon, the son of David, king the second time. And they anointed him as prince for the, why the second time? Because God had already anointed him to be the, 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 the predecessor. He had already anointed him to, to be the successor of the throne. And he said, second time they anointed him as prince for the Lord and Zadok as priest. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king in place of David his father. And he prospered. And all of Israel obeyed him. Let me just stop long enough to say, Solomon wasn't issuing orders. He wasn't saying, you either change the color of your hair or else I'm going to have your head on a platter. Uh, you do this or you do that or you do this and this. No, his leadership was effective among them. And as he said to them things like, the Lord has directed us to do this or say this, <clears throat> they understood that to be beyond Solomon but to be the voice of the Lord, and they received it as such, and they moved forward. I read in a book today uh, about being leaders. It said, the people of the church will only follow the vision and the mission of the church for a short period of time, but they will follow you. And that's true. People tend to follow the leaders. If you were to take every, a picture of every pastor that's ever pastored this church, and hang it on the walls. You could go around to people and say, who was your favorite pastor? And they say, oh, well, I remember this one. He was such a good guy. And, and somebody else say, well, I remember when he was the pastor here. You know why? Because something about their administration connected with you. It may have been during the time that you, you may have gotten saved under this one's ministry. And, and you have a soft spot in their heart because... The vision that God gave them for that season resonated with you. And you heard it and received it. And that, that's, what's, that's what's being said here. That Solomon prospered and the people heard his voice and they obeyed. They did what, what he said to do in, in his leadership. All the leaders and the mighty men and also all the sons of King David pledged their allegiance to King Solomon. And the Lord made Solomon very great in the sight of of Israel and bestow, listen to this, bestowed on him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. He was more blessed than Saul. He was more blessed than his daddy David because God put more anointing, more blessing upon him. Can you imagine how David, how hard it would be for David to look at Solomon and say, man, I worked awfully hard for you, God. And now look how blessed he is. I don't believe there was a, a bit of that in David's body or in his mind. Now let me read on quickly. I got to go. I got two minutes left. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all of Israel. The time that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Then he died at a good age. Listen to this. 
full of days, full of what? Riches. I thought he gave it all away. I thought he gave it all to the church. I thought, I thought he said out of my own wealth and riches, I'm giving it. But he died, how? Rich. Full of riches. Not a little rich. Not a tad bit rich. Not a little dabble, do ya? Scripture said he was full. Full of riches and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. Isn't that crazy? You cannot outgive God. You just simply can't do it. Now, here, here's what I'm saying. David realized that there's a transference taking place. I, I, I've got to position the body so the transference can take place appropriately. I have to lead through this. And he led by encouraging Solomon. He led by praying for Solomon. He led by blessing Solomon. He led by giving everything materially that he had to give. He led by encouraging the people to back Solomon in this endeavor. And he did not die a broke old man. He died full of honor and full of riches. And the kingdom of God prospered and the temple of God was built. Isn't that amazing stuff? Father, thank you.